Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. All right. I'm here again with Clayton Olson, um, my brother from another mother. And we're going to talk about today uh, anti-fragility. I think this is such a powerful concept. We uh, we had some really interesting conversation where this kind of came up adjacent. But welcome. Welcome back, Clayton. I'm really excited to, uh, to have this conversation with you today. Me too, man. Me too. I, I think what blows my mind about anti-fragility is uh, the the author. Is it is it Nassim Taleb, I think that's how you pronounce yeah. his name. Uh, Nassim Nicholas some, Taleb, yeah. That's what, that's Nassim what. Nicholas Taleb, yeah, yeah, distinguishes something, I think, that is a place that coaches and this transformational work that we do, it, it points to, but perhaps hasn't had a name, a, a oh, real yeah. name to capture uh, what is actually happening in the in the midst of transformation and the orientation that we continue to invite people into. And just a powerful orientation for us to stand in and also one that seems so prevalent right now or so maybe the words relevant and relevant. important yeah with the um pandemic and the economy shifting and money and currency everything changing all this uncertainty i think that this topic is going to be really important to get a handle on and to to open up and unpack yeah an incredibly resourceful mindset for mm. for periods especially of transformation quote unquote hardship or whatever because that's i think what the essence of anti-fragile is is it's like is it really bad or you know like hard so anyway let's before we go any further let's let's define anti-fragility yeah and, uh, and talk about what we're talking about yes totally okay so uh some things benefit from shocks they thrive and grow when exposed to volatility randomness disorder and stressors and love adventure, risk and uncertainty. Yet in spite of the ubiquity of the phenomena, there is no word for the exact opposite of fragile. Let's call it anti-fragile. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shock and stays the same while the anti-fragile gets better. This property is behind everything that has changed with time, evolution, culture, ideas, revolution, political systems, technological innovation, culture, economic success, corporate survival, good recipes. The rise of cities, <laughs> legal systems, forests, even our yeah. own existence as a species on the planet. Um, so it is a way, I, I mean, what I really get from that is it's, it's a stance of being able to, to alchemize anything that occurs and turn it into fuel. Ooh, I love that way of putting it. Yeah. I like th think, thinking of it in the simple metaphor of like our bodies. So our bones tend to be like resilient. 
right? Uh, and then like our skin, I think is more like fragile. Like we, you know, we'll, we'll take cuts and damages to it. And then our muscles, they tend to be, they're like anti-fragile. They're a model for anti-fragility. So like we expose mm-hmm. them to stressors when we go to the gym and work out mm-hmm. or whatever we're doing. And then it's that, that soreness is the feeling of them rebuilding stronger than they were before because of all the, like the tears, we tear the muscles to make them yeah. grow back stronger. Yeah. And I think that's like the essence of anti-fragility is like, it's this it's these things that uh, when they are damaged or when they're exposed to stress of some kind, they come back stronger than they were before. Yeah. Let, maybe just to take that, to bolster it more though, because I would think that skin and bone, because I know that if you break a bone, it actually, it actually calcifies and back. goes yeah. back stronger, right? You can't break it in the same spot or it's a lot less likely to break in the same spot. And then skin, you develop calluses, right? Totally. So yeah, it makes perfect so, sense. Right. And I, and I say that just so that we can get really in touch with that. There's already elements of us that are so ubiquitous and that we just don't even look at that are already operating that way. And what if we were to really stand in that as a mindset in life? Mm, bring that to our psychology as well as our, our physiology. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I, I think this is a really cool thing because a lot of like, you know, um, basically tune in you know, turn your mind on if you ever deal with things like fear of failure or fear of rejection, or um, you have trouble like pulling the trigger on something because you're worried about how it's going to wind up going or something like that. I really think that that this mindset of anti-fragility can be a really useful way to get through things, personal blocks, limitations like that. Um, You know, even I, I think even in like the dating in the relationship realm, you know, like the the willingness to risk oneself in either meeting a partner or in taking a relationship to the next level or like opening up your heart, your, you know, I, cause I, I love this, the word vulnerable, mm. which we all recognize as being very important in relationships, at least authentic relationships, right? That word actually means woundable, like to be wound, like to be able to be wounded, right? So if you're vulnerable, you're literally opening yourself up to wounding. And so to have a, an anti-fragile mindset and cultivate a, an awareness that, oh gosh, I, I really believe it's a belief that no matter what happens, you can use it to get stronger, to as fuel, as you said. I really loved that metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, I, and I think it is set, it, it is underpinned by a foundation of beliefs that allow one to take risks in life, to experiment, to engage with life in a way. Right. Like if one believes and one comes from this standpoint of being anti-fragile, the ways in which we can engage with life and engage with uncertainty uh, increase exponentially because Mm. we in some ways are detached from the outcome a bit. Right. There's a way in which it's like, hey, whatever happens, I'm going to take this. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take this and I'm going to take the lesson from it. I'm going to grow from it. I'm going to become a better version of myself, I am going to become a more loving, hard open, more wise individual, regardless of where this goes. And therefore, I'm going to take action and move forward in a direction uh, that I want. Yeah, without being stopped by the those those risks, the fears. Yeah. So, so I think this is uh, this is really interesting. There's so many like useful metaphors that we can explore with this uh, to get to get this concept in, we can talk about a different a few different ways. Um, but I love this idea that you kind of mentioned, um, in prep, this idea of like, what are the parts of us that are fragile? Maybe we can start Mm -hmm. there and then, and then have a conversation about how we can, uh, adopt this 
mindset of anti-fragility, even in those areas, perhaps? Sure. Great. Great. You have any thoughts about? I do. Yeah. So this actually, I kind of came to this conclusion through just the reverse. Uh, As I was digging into the, uh, this concept of anti-fragility, as well as examining some of the clients that I've worked with, uh, where I see a lot of the fragility happen is when, or let's just say this, where I see a lot of the anti-fragility occur is when someone is able to step and get out of their own way. And what does that mean? Get out of your own way. I mean, I think we've heard about, we've heard that saying before. Uh, and I think what it really means is in some ways to, to put your ego aside and allow yourself to be moved by something bigger, uh, to not introject what's happening outside of you, having, making it mean something about our worth, about our value, about our deservingness in the world. And so the fragile mindset, I believe, is created when we're constantly engaging with life, introjecting everything that's occurring as meaning something about who we are on a deep, fundamental level, which is what children do. It's a child's mindset, right? Dad gets angry and it's because I'm broken. Mom leaves and it's because I'm worthless, right? This business fails and it's because there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Mm. When we put our ego at the at the fulcrum of of the of the meaning, uh, we create a fragile state of mind that then insulates us in in a in a bad way. Let's just say hold us holds us back from being able to take risks because what's on the line is not just an experiment or a behavior that we're trying that's new, but our, our identity yeah. is on the line. So I think that's really at the core of what creates a fragile mentality is this kind of ego obsession this kind of self-focused, self-obsession uh, uh, that we have about making things mean something about us. What do you mm. think about that? Yeah, well, and identifying with, with that ego part too. Like, I, I really love this idea of, um, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the ego and the way that it shows up in the world. Uh, I think it's a really useful model to think of. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, the Guy Ritchie movie Revolver, but it, it does such a great exploration of the concept of the ego and the way that the ego works. Like it's like that voice that's running in the side of your head that's saying, you know, like, oh, what are they going to think? Or like, what's that going to be- mean about you? Or like, you know, all that stuff. It's almost like it's this second person voice that happens inside our head. I don't know if you have that experience, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's a really interesting kind of concept. And so like one of the models for me that I, I use pretty regularly is I, I love video games. I love like the idea of like going into a, a, a playing a character, right? And then, you know, tra- traversing the world, the challenges that are within the world as that character. And so I really think that this this is like a great model for what the ego is. It's like you're you're playing this character and, you, you know, you'd, you'd think it was ridiculous to identify with the character that you're playing in the video game, right? You're not the character, you're the player of the game, right? You're not like the the series of stats that the character has. You're like the one who's navigating the world using those stats and those characteristics to like those skills and abilities, right? And so what's really cool is now, now and it's baked into video games because you fail a lot in video games. Like you, that's the whole point is you kind of like run up against a challenge and then it defeats you until you can figure out how to get move past and move through the challenge. And this is what I really think is like the idea of identifying with our ego is like that. It's like, we're saying, we're saying I'm not the experiencer. I'm the experienced. Right. And then, and then whatever happens out there, if we're in this fragile mindset or we're using, we're using, as you said, the, the our ego as the fulcrum of our experience, like what we're saying is, oh, I had this experience and, you know, I didn't get the kind of results that I was looking for. That must mean something about my me. 
right? That's where we like, we start to like break down and we start to hold back and get resistant to going out and doing the experiences in the world because we start to identify with the character or the moment in time, or like, this is the way that like failure, failure really only happens when you stop trying, right? Like that's, that's how failure happens. But when we name something failure, that's like making an identity meaning out of it. We're like saying is equal to failure. This experience was equal to failure. And I really think that this is like, this is like ego identification or like that egoic um, mm-hmm. way of being where we're like mapping our experiences of the world back onto ourselves and making it mean something about ourselves, making identity meaning out of it. So I'm, I'm wondering, would it make sense then now to just as we we're, we've talked a little bit about this fragile mindset, which by the way, uh, I definitely dance with that. I find myself in just inadvertently and unexpectedly making something mean things about myself and my worth and my value. And it's not that with the work that I've done, that just necessarily just stopped completely. It's more about being conscious of it, catching it, and then choosing something different, right? Mm-hmm. And not operating from that small self, but rather allowing myself to separate the behaviors from me to be able to go out into the world. Uh, so oh. and I think so. I think we're distinguishing fragility uh, in a in a way that I actually have not heard yet around this topic, and I and I think that's a, a wonderful backdrop. Uh, is there anything more we want to say on this, or should do you want to go into uh, perhaps some of the traits of being or evoking anti-fragility, what makes sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to like talk about some stories to kind of l- really make it real. Cause for me, yeah. I think that this is that this concept of anti-fragility is very much related to what like quote unquote success means in the world. Like when you succeed at something, in other words, when you, when you achieve the the necessary or expected results in the world, right? Like what success, what success means is like when we set out to do something and then we would say that we did it afterwards. Right. And I think that the path, no matter what, in, in what capacity you're trying to succeed at something, the path at least always follows the same sort of meta model, which is Mm -hmm. that you, you identify what it is that you want to do. You try and you fail necessarily you fail unless you've already done something close enough to it in the past where you're really certain about your success. But I mean, think about babies. They can't do anything at all, right? Like really they have no skills in the world. Yeah. And then it's only through this process that they develop skills. We develop skills. We identify what we want to do. We fail at it and we keep failing at it, trying our best, but failing until we no longer fail at it. Yeah. And so I like talk about this formula for success. Success is equal to failed attempts plus one, Mm. right? That you have to move through these failed attempts in order to get to success. That's just literally what the path to success looks like. And so I think, because what gets in the way a lot of times is as as we're making this identity meaning out of our our egoic identification, right? What gets in the way of us taking action a lot of times is we say, well, you know, I'm only going to even try if I can be sure. Like I want the surefire way to get to Mm -hmm. success or whatever. I see that a lot. Yeah. yeah, totally. And so then we're resistant to, to quote unquote failing. Mm-hmm. We're like, uh, and we're, and like so many people are like spend trying to figure out a, a path that they can walk where they can like plan for all the contingencies so that they don't fail so that they avoid mm-hmm. failure at all costs. Like, mm-hmm. how can I succeed without risking failure? That's the question I think a lot of us are asking as we set out to do anything complicated in the world, right? Oh and I think that's that's backwards. I think that there that's literally missing the essence, the definition of success is paved with failure. Like we have mm-hmm. to experience failure in order to succeed. Think about mm-hmm. like lottery winners who 
the vast majority of them go back to being as poor, if not poorer than they were before they won the lottery within five years of winning the lottery. Right. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because they didn't actually succeed. They got lucky. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they didn't develop the skills that they like, they were already the kind of person who was investing in lottery tickets. Right. Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, not really great odds of successful financial completion there. Right. Yeah. And so, so we're not going through the process of failing our way to success. And so then we can't hold on to quote unquote success, even when we have it in those ways. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think this anti-fragility mindset is really about is like changing your relationship with the path to what success quote unquote means. Mm How does that land? I love it. I love it. Yeah. What's coming to mind as you're talking about it too, just to kind of underscore something that I'm, that I'll pull out from, from that is that the failing is really important, not necessarily because it leads to success just one dimensionally, right? Like the, your chances of succeeding increase with every failure, although that may be true. Uh, it's actually that the failures in some ways allow you to build an identity through the continued experimenting through the continued almost maybe of like the the earning of the thing that you get so when you finally do get what you want get what you set out there's an identity shift that's happened that now has the capacity to keep you in that realm rather than have you slip back like the lottery winner who's like god this money's not even congruent congruent with who i am because i got lucky therefore i don't even have the structure to hold on to this level of energy, I'm just going to let it go where the the failure allows us to build up the circuitry necessary to then be able to have the foundation to, to hold this new level of creation that Mm, to believe in ourselves. Yeah. 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 And so just to, to go a little bit deeper into this, which I'm, I'm thinking is, is necessary is like, so I'm hearing an, an experimenter mindset is, is key. So approaching life as if, like, you know, is a scientist failing when they're running experiments or are they just even running experiments? Right. And it's like, oh, this thing had this reaction. OK, let me let me adjust this variable. Oh, this thing had this reaction. Right. Is it even like oh, I'm failing or is it just there's a, a whole series of tests that are occurring? So that could oh, yeah. be one way of metabolizing it. Right. And yeah, then it, I really love actually that idea of because that's because this idea is baked into the scientific method, right? Like we observe some yeah. phenomenon that happens in the world. We hypothesize yeah. about what is what's going on there. And then we yeah. like design an experiment to see if that's what's actually going on there. And then we yeah. run the experiment and then we see like, did it work? Did the, did, yeah. w- did we get the results that we expected from that experiment? Mm-hmm. Right. And if not cool, back to the drawing board. And if so, awesome. Now, what does that mean about our original hypothesis? Right. And so like, it's yeah. this ever evolving yes. process of kind of like trying things and seeing what happens. And Science I think is inherently anti-fragile. Yes. Yes. And the, what we might not even be talking about too, is that oftentimes the experimenter is sitting with a lens of observation and curiosity rather than having their whole identity tied up into it. Right. Oh, yeah. So it's, Judgment. it's like, right. So I'm, I'm actually approaching this with openness and allowing myself to see the data in the most clear way that I can. Obviously there's going to be a subjective lens on it because you're still looking through a human being's eyes. Uh, but it's a completely different way of being with the data, of being with what's working and what's not working than taking action and feeling like you're a failure because something doesn't happen the way you want it to. And mm-hmm. I want to name also that I think that the the anti-fragility mindset is also one of developing a new relationship with uncertainty, one where I'm welcoming uncertainty into my life. I'm actually 
working. Jordan Peterson calls it uh, the the zone of proximal development, where okay. it's it's that line between order and chaos, where you're in a place where you you're in the known, and then you venture into the unknown, but not so far outside that it just completely blows you out into just pure chaos and disintegration. But mm-hmm. there's a there's a place in between order and chaos where you're accepting and inviting uncertainty in so that you can metabolize it and Mm. that you can continue to develop a relationship with uncertainty where it may be exciting and a adventure rather than something that's terrifying and where you're white knuckling it. And one last thing that I want to, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, is that if we're to change our relationship with uncertainty and step into the unknown with a new relationship with a new way of being, the thing that we also have to step into is that we have to be uncertain then around who we think we are. Mm. We actually have to embody that uncertainty and allow ourselves to be surprised by what we, we might be capable of or uh, how we might show up in a new context that we create. Because if we're so damn sure about who we are and we're trying to protect our identity from uncertainty, we limit our ability to transform. and Which to includes growth. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. What an interesting idea. Yeah. Cause I think what's coming up for me as I'm hearing you talk about this is like, so, so often I hear like, if only I had the confidence to do that thing mm. or whatever, like, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, I just, I, I can't wait to be the, you know, that confident person as though, um, kind of confident is confidence is the prerequisite for taking some kind of action. Like I have to be confident in order to take action. But what is really interesting about this idea of anti-fragility and going out there and like standing in this uncertainty of self, right. Is that we go and we try some stuff, right. And then we handle whatever comes up, whatever that thing is. Right. And the word confidence literally means with faith. That's confidence. That's means like we have faith in whatever the thing is that we're confident in, whether it be ourselves or whether it be, you know, our our reality or whatever, but that we have faith that it will (laughs) on the other side of it. And so like the idea that confidence is this prerequisite to taking action, I think is backwards. I think that we actually get confident from confidence from taking courageous, uncertain action, you might call it Mm -hmm. being uncertain about the the result that we're going to get. And then no matter what happens, we survive it. Okay. And now we're a little bit more, again, we're not using the word resilient. It's like, we're a little bit more anti-fragile. We're a little bit more capable on the other side of it than we were before. No matter what the result is, we just gained a little bit of experience in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I like, I love this, this, I, this really concrete example of how this anti-fragility thing works. So you have kids learning to talk. Okay. And what happens is, you know, we're, we're piecing together like we don't, you know, imagine how complicated it is to learn to talk without any language. Like, what do you? It's like that would be like trying to build a plane while you're flying. Like, how do you? How do you do it? Right. So we're like, first we're like imitating, and we're like, you know, kind of piecing together what we think words are meaning, and then we're going out and we're like trying to say things. We're trying to repeat what we've heard other people say. Okay. And what happens is we don't actually know that we're, we have mistakes in our connections until we go out there and we say, you know, friends and people are like, what, what are you, what are you saying? (laughs) Point to it, try to get it to me. Right. And they're like, yeah, friends. And you're like, oh, fence, fence. Right. And it takes somebody who's a master of the language looking at you. Okay. And hearing you utter something that was quote unquote wrong or incorrect or whatever, right? It takes the uttering of it and them witnessing you uttering it quote unquote wrong, 
for them to then correct you, right? Because otherwise you could have that error in your thought pattern and your language apprehension just sitting in there. And if you never had to use the word, right, you could imagine that you just hold on to that error forever, right? If you just like you, if you never came across a way to use that word where somebody was like going to correct you in front of you, right? You would just hold that error. So it takes the actual utterance, the quote unquote failure, right? Of the word to take on the new learning, to take on the new experience that helps us then to grow and expand our understanding of the language and our conceptualization of the world around us. Mm. Right. And that is like the essence of like how we build this in to ourselves, this, like this capacity to do something like language, this success yeah. state of language. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. The word that comes to mind as you're speaking is just feedback, like really being able to engage with life and just seeing everything as feedback. And there's these little, yeah trite comments that are thrown out there like you know there's no failure only feedback but it's wonderful right. to be able to connect the dots there and then plug it into like a larger um nominalization right a, a, a word then that 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 supports that totally um, because like you you see in this process it's that it's not despite that the failures that we learn language it is actually directly because of them mm-hmm. as 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 interconnected as ice and water are success and failure you yeah. literally cannot have the one without the other. And this is where I think the real magic of this kind of a mindset and unlock of this awareness, not of like some made up concept, but of like actually observing that this is literally mm-hmm. how we develop any skill that we ever have. Learning to walk, we fall over, we push ourselves back mm-hmm. up, our legs get stronger, mm-hmm. right? Part of why we can't walk is because we don't have the strength in our muscles, yeah. right? So when we fall over and we push ourselves back up, we get stronger. So we don't learn to walk despite falling over. We learn to walk because we fall over in a very direct way. And you can just see example after example after example of this in your your world. Anytime Mm. you're exposed to somebody who's learning something, you can watch them failing their way to success. Mm. Not like handling failure on their way to success, but actually paving the road to success with failure. And I think that that's just such a beautiful concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So liberating, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So taking it and we've got some of these foundational pieces in the room. How do you think that someone who might be listening, who's like, yeah, and like, I just had a death happen, like my wife died, or I just had, uh, you know, I just lost my job and I'm completely devastated. I don't know how, where I'm going to go from here. Right. So when we've got these events, Right. We can we can talk about learning a skill and we can talk about the importance of anti-fragility and it might be like, oh, this thing plugs in well here. But mm-hmm. how does one apply it in a time when, God, the stock market has crashed uh, or let's just say that it's, it's on a decline? Uh, I know people in the crypto space who have lost 90 percent of their money uh, and who are really having a hell of a time um, navigating some of the decisions that they've made that have led them into a place that uh, is is new territory for their nervous system. How does one actually be with with that and adopt this this mindset of anti fragility around things that are just devastating? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I think the first thing to notice is that we're defining it into devastation. Like we're we're calling it like that's that's a judgment, and it's not. I'm not saying that it's wrong or anything like that. But what I am saying, which is also a judgment, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that that just noticing that what we're doing is we're 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 opining, we're making an opinion about it, right? Like it's not real. It's a devastation. All right, cool, maybe. That's one interpretation of reality, and it certainly would fit and 
align with how most people I think would talk about it. It just doesn't make it true, right? Something is devastating only in our thinking about it, right? The fact of it isn't necessarily devastating. Like take those friends who are in the crypto space. If they didn't know that they lost all their money, somehow they weren't aware of it, that they lost 90% of their assets. Is it still devastating to them? Let's say that they were on a vacation, right? When it happened and they were just like enjoying their time on their vacation and it was all prepaid for, they had already like gone out, you know, they're off having their world, right? They don't know. So are they devastated by it? I I mean, could they be devastated by it if they didn't know about it happening, right? And if that's the case, it's not the thing itself that's devastating. It's something about the knowing of the thing itself that's devastating. Right. And so I think I just think it's important to draw that distinction to understand that we're making opinions about these things. And even though they sound really true and they sound real, and most people would agree with you and say, yep, it is devastating. It is, in fact, devastating to lose your wife, to lose your money in the stock market or whatever. Right. It is important to realize that it's our thinking about it that makes it devastating. Mm. Right. And I just like, I like to hold space for that because obviously, yeah, look. what the Buddha, Jesus, like that's, is that the level of like acceptance of reality that we're talking about here? (laughs) You know what I mean? But also you do, everybody does have available different interpretations, an infinite number of interpretations of things. So I I do just want to like notice that that's the case, that what we're talking about with this anti-fragile mindset is not reality. It's just an opinion. It's a thought that we can think that when we think it, it might be resourceful for us to think it. We might feel better. We might have more of the experiences that we're looking for in the world. Does that, mm. does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And it's, I think we're definitely getting into the realm of, um, there's, a, there's a spiritual component to this, right? There's definitely, I think what can give access to anti-fragility is uh, a almost transcending of the human experience into uh, a, a higher order of a consciousness that I think is definitely one we can, we can point to. And I think it can be really difficult for people to make that leap into that place and say, you know, shit, like, you know, I just lost my wife and you're going to tell me that what it is, is my interpretation that is devastating, (laughs) you know, not the losing of her. And I, and I get that. And, um, and on many accounts, it's like, yes, that's true. Um, and I also though, want to just name that I think that there is a downside to anti-fragility that I'd like to talk to here that I, Ooh, and I, that I have not actually heard really stated in uh, the literature. Um, and this is something that actually came up just with Asia and I talking about, my, my fiance and I talking about it, is that uh, anti-fragility may also occur as a spiritual bypass if we're not careful. Mm. And how it might occur as a spiritual bypass is rather than actually being with the devastation, rather than actually allowing oneself to get hit with possibly the darkness of life and and have that kind of carve us out, we kind of try to skip over the top of it and immediately interpret it into something positive or see the opportunity in it and actually kind of go over and not engage with the darker experience of life. And so I would think that the what I would love to add to the anti-fragility concept is a sequence of events that lead to anti-fragility uh, rather than kind of just going there immediately. Like, mm. and how I would see this happening is like something happens and rather than immediately trying to go to the opportunity in it to actually feel the shock of it, to feel the devastation of it, to give room and welcome the emotions that come with that and to not judge oneself of being like, oh, I got to jump to this standpoint of this kind of like, all-knowing Buddha first in order to 
you know, save myself from this experience, but to actually feel the sensations in your body, to allow your system to have the reset, to maybe even allow yourself to be completely annihilated by the experience, but not to get stuck there, right? Mm. Not to get stuck there, to actually continue to move through it by almost like the stages of grief, right? Because you could Mm. say that, oh, there's a loss that happens. We jump to anti-fragility and now we've passed all these different stages of grief that are so important for the alchemization of the experience, right? To go through the anger, the sadness, the pain, the devastation, the shock, uh, the denial, and then from that place to move into a realm of acceptance. And then from there to ask, okay, now how do I want to use this experience? How do, mm. I, how do I want to use this experience in my life as fuel? And so it's like chewing the experience first and not just swallowing it whole, chewing it and digesting it and actually go, be, not being afraid of the darkness that the uncertainty and the devastation, the loss might bring. Um, and I think that's a key part of the alchemization of being able to come out the other side. Mm. I'm curious how that lands. Does that feel, does that feel yeah. uh, accurate to you? Well, yeah. I mean, what, what I'm, what I hear and, and just, I just want to kind of break down the belief pattern that's happening there for just a second. Cause what we're mm-hmm. saying is that there, that there's essentially that there's something really important about having the darkness, the dark times, the, the experience. And my, my answer to that is that the, that is a choice that we're fundamentally making about how we want to come and experience this reality, right? That it isn't necessarily so, but for some people it is the way that they want to experience the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely perfect. Exactly the way that it is, right? Because, and going back to the fulcrum that we were talking about before of the ego, like Mm -hmm. that's essentially what we're talking about, right? Like I lose my wife. That means something about me in this experience in the world. Okay. And with the spiritual bypassing kind of aspect of this, because that's, that's the dichotomy that we're experiencing here. That's the tension that we're experiencing. The, the tension between the video game character and the player who's playing the character, right? Because from uh, a spiritual perspective, from the highest level meta view, like none of it matters. We're matter and energy can either be created nor destroyed. So eternity. Okay. And then, so what, there's nowhere to be, there's nothing to get to. Right. And that everybody doesn't want to, you don't want to play the game from that place all the time necessarily, right? Like sometimes we actually want to make meaning out of the world. We want to be in the experience. And I think some people, that's the choice that they want to live in. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's no, cause there's a judgment that we c- could have access to about mm-hmm. these things, but who cares? Like, it's not really, it's up to every person to decide how they want to live their own lives. Right. And so when we're saying like, I really want to get into the depth, the darkness of the human experience in order to alchemize, right? That's just a s- story as well as I'm going to evolve past it and not experience any of the darkness and use it as a as a reminder of the ephemeral nature of the physical realm or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And both of those are just choices about the interpretation that we make about the story of reality, right? Yeah. And neither is better or worse than the other. That's the whole point is that we like, yeah. we get to be the human who makes the decision of mm-hmm. how we want to interpret things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, like I love it. And I think that what we're dimensionalizing here is that uh, there's multiple paths of this. And perhaps if it's in your capacity 
to just go right into anti-fragility, beautiful. And I would also be curious too, is that if there's an experience, because you are in a human body, if there's something that is actually getting stored in your body that's not being expressed because you go to this mental construct of anti-fragility, but you're not processing it through your body, and then it forms, it somehow comes back as some type of suppressed something or other. Like, I mean, we see this in nature where deers, for instance, when they hit, when they have a trauma, they shake it off. Yeah. Right. So there's a body component to this uh, of where I think a transformation could take place. And so I'm just wanting to to bring that into this because some of the uh, individuals that I work with, uh, I've worked with a lot of people going through breakups and I can talk all day about how it's a choice to be in pain or not with them. Mm -hmm. And you know what, as Mm -hmm. much as I might want to land that concept, uh, at the end of the day, they they may be able to take that on and run with it, and they may not be able to. It may not occur right. as a choice at all. And so yep. for anybody listening that's in this place who has experienced this kind of loss and doesn't feel like you can just make this leap into this kind of spiritual realm of realizing that we're all one, but is having a very or human experience of loss. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Because there's yeah. something there to act. Yeah. Don't want to or feel like you can't. Uh, then. I want to just put compassion out there that there is a way to go through this where it's like, you know, it's like the feet, it's like the, the Phoenix that rises from the ashes. Uh, you know, there has to be a fire and there has to be something that gets burnt down for the Phoenix to rise from. It's not just like whatever it is in the Phoenix. It's like, there mm. is a process of alchemization that may be painful and that may actually be an identity death. And if you're in the middle of it and not able to jump right to anti-fragility, my my whole thing is that that's not a problem. That's just possibly part of a process and to honor that. I think that's the, the underscore that I'm wanting to make here. Oh, awesome. And I also, I don't know that it it is possible to get to the the place where you're like, look at the, look at the Buddha who is like the archetype of acceptance mm. of all things in reality. And there's that night at the tree where the Buddha is like, well, first of all, there's the experience of like seeing the old person, the sick person and the dead person and being like, oh, what's going on? Like, I've never been exposed to these things before. Like what's happening? And then there's the night under the tree where Mara comes and says, you want fame? You want lust and then finally attacks worthiness and says, who are you to think that you can do this? Right. Mm -hmm. And so these are, this is like the dark night of the soul that shows up again and again in mythic archetype. Hero's journey with Joseph Campbell as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what Paige and I are talking about in our podcast. And so we, so, and I had this experience in my life. I had my head injury. That was my traumatic Mm -hmm crucible moment. And I, I, I suspect you had it too. I, my, I want to, I want to go to your father, but I don't know, like I, you know, I, I don't know what your example exact does something. Oh, I have these experiences all the time. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I have crucibles every single decade, multiple of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't jump directly to anti-fragility, you know, and, and there's something useful for me specifically about not doing that. Um, and you know, that could be, yeah, of course it's a choice, but it also feels the most honoring to my experience. Yeah, totally. And and what I want to say is like, I don't think that you can get, like, I think even anti-fragility is paved with failure mm. the, the same way nice. as yeah. anything else, right? Like it's the same way as anything else. And so what I'm not doing is dismissing or 
making wrong in any way. Cause again, that would be the, uh, the ego identification, the judgment story that I'm not, I'm absolutely not describing. I really yeah. am saying there's a possible world where you don't want to play at all. When I was in my early twenties, I was meditating all the time. And I was yeah. like, just like, I was so focused on, ch- I was chanting and I was meditating and I was really mm. clear on that. And then I would be in conversation and I would just like be still in my brain and yeah. I wouldn't have anything interesting to say. And I wouldn't have anything interesting to talk about with people. And I got bored of it <laughs> because mm-hmm. I was doing all of this like quote unquote spiritual work, but I was disconnecting from reality mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, but I decided that I wanted to play the game. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Cause that's the other thing is like it, it the game works better when you're wanting to ex- engage with the, the character, when you're wanting to really treat this as your challenge that you're facing and yeah. that sort of thing. Does that make sense? I love it. It does, man. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I love that we're hitting it from these different angles and 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 talking this through. It it it's uh, it's making it more of a geometric concept and also not pedestalizing necessarily anti fragility right off the bat as the place to go to, but actually a possible stance to look at that can be of service. But there could be proper timing to it as well. Um, totally awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Cause wouldn't you, don't you want to have, like, I was thinking about like Pixie last night. I love that dog. My, I fucking love her. And at some point I'm going to lose her. And it's the fact that I'm going to lose her that in some ways makes the experience of being with her so beautiful. Mm. Right. Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do it any other way. Like it would, that would mean not having the dog at all in the first place. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also too, they, these losses, they put us in touch with our heart, you know, the, to be able to actually feel the loss and to be, to be in, and you might call it to be in the illusion of loss, right? Because it's yeah. like, what can we actually lose? But to, to whatever it is to be in that loss puts me in touch with my human heart. It allows me to have tears and, and those tears could actually be incredibly useful and powerful for my human biochemical body to release toxins, right? And so it's like, I want, you know, I go around in life and I'm looking for reasons to cry because I don't necessarily have the most access to that. So when I have, when I am able to cry, I feel that that's incredibly healing um, versus trying to, trying to bypass that or just look at the bright side consistently and yeah. not go into those emotions. So, um, dude, I got some K dramas for you. I'll recommend them later. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yes. No, I, I know. I've been talking about those K dramas. I've not watched them yet, but I, I want to, that would be, that would be great. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I, I wanted to just, and I'm just wanted to put a couple things out here of like metaphors of may, maybe ways of kind of looking at a certain situations in life that could be seen as anti-fragile. Does that seem like an appropriate sure. place yeah, to go to? Okay. Yeah, so it's just, so a couple of these, I mean, just the crying one kind of brought this to mind, but looking at crying as rather than being an indi- indi- indication of something being wrong, we can look at crying as releasing toxins. That can be an anti-fragile totally. mindset, right? Totally. Getting destroyed or experiencing devastating failure or loss can be one stage of a cycle of death and rebirth, like the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Um, totally. Having experiences that overwhelm us or blow us out is actually testing our system's elasticity and is upgrading our capacity to handle more wattage of life, mm. right? Like, oh, interesting. Like, right? And then let's say this, like something that is not going as expected or happening on the timeline that we want is an opportunity for us to ask, what is actually wanting to happen that's in service of me? Mm. Rather than what do I want and why is that not happening? It's like we start to listen to maybe the whisper of the universe of, okay, what's actually wanting to happen that's different than my plans right now that's in service of me? Like that's an anti-fragile 
approach or stance. Yeah. I love this, this enhanced wattage, like with things that blow us out, enhance our capacity mm. for wattage. That's like almost mm-hmm. like uh calluses, but for the spirit, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And that's been happening, I mean, man, that's been happening with me in my life with just this big transition that I'm in the middle of with Asia, just mm-hmm. the amount of tasks and overwhelm and thing, things that are coming at me of that I'm supposed to be handling and relationships around this, this move has been so overwhelming that it's an it, it's enough to have my system just want to shut down and at times it does but then i just keep trusting that okay like as i continue to step into this the intensity that i will be able to experience in life is going to be threefold in all emotions after allowing myself to go through this and and that's just a continued choice of going into a bit of a kind of an anti-fragile mindset totally dude look at the look at trees man they lose mm. all their leaves and go into this dormant period of rest. And then they come back bigger the next year. Right. Yeah. And it's that cycle of every time until they die. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally beautiful. Cool, man. Any, Dude, great any last thoughts, man? Yeah. Uh, no, just, I love that we, that we, you know, that we highlighted that anti-fragility isn't the only way to tackle things. Mm. It's just a resourceful mindset that we have access to if yeah. it's appropriate for us. And if we want to, so I love this, I love this idea of like not judging ourselves being yeah. where we want to be like actively, like asking the question, do, what tools do we want to use in the toolkit at this time? And that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Great conversation. Thanks so much. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Um, I got a quote. I got a quote here, brother, just so we can end this with. It's by Pima Chodron from When Things Fall Apart. I thought this one really captures it. Uh, Only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible in us be found. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.